If you need someone to be available for you, you also need that person to be able to help with your need. If you want somebody to be available, they also have to be able to help with your need. A couple of years ago, we were down in California for a little summer vacation earlier in the, early in the summer, and the trip had come to an end, and things had kind of changed at the end because I had to get home a little bit sooner to officiate a funeral. And so we were trying to kind of adjust plans, and then to throw a wrench into everything, the temperature down there was 117 degrees. And so in South Dakota, air travel is dictated by snow. In Southern California, California, it's ruined by heat. So they actually they weren't allowing planes to take off because canisters, I don't understand all this, canisters in the back of the planes were actually exploding because of the heat. So I was like, yeah, not a good idea to fly. Very wise. Anyhow, I had to get home to officiate a funeral, and so I'm like, okay, I don't think we can lower the temperature. What other options do we have? And so I'm talking with the desk clerk, you know, I'm trying to explain the situation. I'm like, hey, I'm a pastor. She's looking at me going, you look 16. Are you lying to, to me? Um, trying to work through all this. I'm like, I got to get back to officiate a funeral. And the next thing, I'm like, well, well, I can get you to Dallas. Hmm, great. I can bury the person in Dallas. Okay. A flight available to Dallas does nothing for me when I have to be in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. Now, very nice to show the availability of a flight to Dallas. But at that moment, I needed a route and a pathway back to Sioux Falls. It did not matter to me that there was availability of a flight to Dallas. What mattered to me is that there was availability of something that got me to my desired destination. Everybody loves the fact that Jesus is available. This is one of Jesus' most popular characteristics, that Jesus is approachable and available. That when Jesus traveled throughout different towns, what happened? Anyone in town could go visit him and see him. Actually, the very people that got to visit him and see him were often the people that would not be allowed to approach a religious leader that was coming for a visit. Actually, most religious leaders that came for visits in these towns, there were others besides Jesus that were traveling around giving a message, teaching, and preaching. So Jesus wasn't unfamiliar in that sense. They had other people that had arrived on the scene. But what was different was that Jesus was available. Not just to the inner circle of temple leaders or to the inner circle of leaders of that church in that town, but he was available to everybody. He was actually available to those who the religious leaders said, hey, you shouldn't be available to these people. It actually got Jesus in trouble when he made himself available to people because it offended the other religious leaders. Everybody loves the fact, the fact that Jesus is available. But when we think about Jesus, his availability means nothing if he can't do anything for us. The approachability of Jesus means nothing if he has no authority to solve our problems. This next week, if you want to have coffee or lunch with me, yeah, I'm pretty available. You can have coffee or lunch with me. But guess what? The reason that I'm available is because it's not that big of a deal. I have no authority to what? Solve your problems. 
I have no majesty or greatness that's going to be transferred to you. What makes the availability of Jesus so amazing and great is that he also is the one who what? Has all authority. The fact that Jesus is superior over everything makes the fact that he's available awesome. Otherwise, his availability is what? Just part of the trade. Part of the gimmick of what? Gathering a crowd. But the fact that he is who he is and that he's available changes everything. Today's message is really simple. Three words. Jesus is superior. Jesus is superior. Say that with me. Jesus is superior. Because before we can get into this stuff about Jesus being available and approaching Jesus, we first have to understand the superiority of Jesus Christ. Look with me at one sentence here in Luke chapter 3. And if you don't have a Bible, just turn to the front of your bulletin. It's on the front of your bulletin. John 3 uh, I'm sorry, Luke 3, 16. John, who John now is a messenger of God. So when it says here, John answered them all, John is a person that God had sent before Jesus to prepare the way. So there's Bible passages in the Old Testament that say that, hey, I'm going to send a forerunner or someone in advance of my Messiah. So John was predicted to come. John is a big deal. John's been gathering big crowds. And not only has John been gathering big crowds, but John has the attention of government leaders. Look with me, if you would, there in Luke 3, down to verse 18 through 20. You see just kind of almost like a little side note here in the middle of this story that what? John gets locked up. Why does John get locked up and then ultimately he gets beheaded? Why? Because he was speaking out against the evil behavior of the government leader. He was calling out the adultery. He was calling out the lies. And it ultimately led to his death. John was a big deal. He was having a major influence. That's why they're like, hey, yeah, he's saying stuff about me, but the government leader doesn't care if you're saying stuff about him if you have no what? Popularity. Because then it doesn't make a difference. But John's got popularity, and it's growing quickly. So they come to John, they're like, wow, John, you're a big deal. And John is a big deal. He was predicted about in the Old Testament. But look what John says. I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. Just underline that sentence, if you have your bulletin or your Bible, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. What in the world? What is he saying? John is, is saying almost in the simplest of terms possible that there's one coming who is far superior than I. A actually, far superior than I to the point of this. I don't even deserve to have the lowliest of servant positions in his household. That's what this phrase untie his sandal means because who was in charge of untying the sandal when someone came into their home i mean for me it's my wife and my kids but you know back then i'm kidding i'm kidding back then you came and you visited somebody's home you know what happens you didn't take off your own shoes you show up and what 
There's someone there to take your sandals off for you. And so the servant, the employee that had the lowliest position, guess what they had to do? They had to untie the sandal, take them off, and then wash the feet so the person could come into the house. John is saying, the one who's coming is so great, I'm not even worthy to be in that position. In other words, Jesus is superior to anyone and to everything. There's three ways of thinking about this and understanding the superiority of Jesus. If you're taking notes this morning, I just want to share with you three ways that Jesus is superior to anything and to everyone. The first is this. The reason that the Apostle John, John the Baptist, is saying, hey, I can't even untie his shoes, is because Jesus is unmatched in his authority. Jesus is unmatched in his authority. Look with me, if you would, here at verse 16 again. After John says that thing about he's unworthy, he says this, He, Jesus, will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Simplify this for us this morning. He's saying that Jesus has the authority to give you the Spirit of God. Now, this has, no one else has ever had this authority The Spirit of God up to this point in the Bible has been sometimes released by the Creator for special things, for movements. It was released at creation. And then at other times throughout the Old Testament, the Spirit came maybe for a special anointing. But the Holy Spirit was not present 100% with, with the people of God. But now John is saying, hey, the one who has authority to say, Spirit of God, be with this person. Is Jesus. In other words, he has ultimate authority. If you read the Gospels, you'll find that Jesus gets himself in trouble with the religious leaders. What gets Jesus in trouble again is that he's spending time with the outcast, but it's not spending time with the outcast that gets him in trouble, it's what he says to the outcast. Maybe you've heard the story before where a bunch of friends bring somebody to Jesus and they carry him on a mat and they open up a roof. And they lower this guy down in front of Jesus, in front of a big crowd. In other words, friends bring a paralyzed person to see Jesus. The paralyzed person is put in front of Jesus, and Jesus says to that paralyzed person, your sins are forgiven. (laughs) And everybody goes crazy. The religious leaders, whoa, 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 what are you doing? Why? Because they said, only God has the authority to forgive sin. It wasn't Jesus' availability to the outcast that got him in trouble with the religious leaders. It was his authority that he displayed with his availability that got him in trouble. He has unmatchless authority. Jesus is the only one who has the authority to say, your sins are forgiven. Unmatched authority. Jesus is superior because of his unmatched authority. Not only that, Jesus is superior because of his unmatched righteousness. Now, this one might be a little bit churchy for you. You might be unmatched in his righteousness. What does that mean? Unmatched in his righteousness simply means this. No one behaved or lived like Jesus. No one behaved or lived like Jesus. Now, this is a little bit of a rabbit trail, kind of this morning, but I want to help you understand this. Because Jesus gets baptized in our passage. And you're thinking, 
Well, why does Jesus need to be baptized? Be very careful how you read this Bible passage because John is baptizing sinners. John, the point of baptism for John, at least, is that when people are willing to say, hey, I've sinned and I want to turn to God. So baptism was that symbol of turning to God, that entrance point into the family of God. Jesus had no need for baptism. He hadn't sinned. He's done nothing wrong. So why is Jesus being baptized? Turn with me in your Bible real quick to Matthew chapter 3. We just get the perspective of a different author, and we get the perspective of someone else who's on the scene with Jesus being baptized. John, Matthew 3, 15. Matthew 3, 15. Matthew 3, 15. It says this. So this is the same story about Jesus coming to be baptized by John. But now look, with, look up to verse 14. Let's start there. John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? In other words, John is saying, what's going on here? Jesus, you don't need to be baptized. But Jesus says, Jesus answered him, verse 15, Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. In other words, John baptized him. Fulfill all righteousness. Why was Jesus baptized? Is because this was the standard of God for humanity. That humanity would have this experience, this covenant with God. And so Jesus goes through the experience, what? To what? To fulfill the standards of God. And that would fulfill the righteousness of God there really means to, to step into the standards, to the way of God. Now turn with me to one other place. I know this might get confusing. I'm going to try and bring this all home for us. Turn to 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians is a little bit farther back in your Bible. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Hopefully you see really quickly the importance of this. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians 5. going to look at one verse here really quickly. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 21. It's talking about Jesus again and something Jesus did on our behalf. 2 Corinthians 5.21 For our sake he made him, made Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Okay, simplify this down for you. Jesus was sinless. But what Jesus did is he came down in human form and identified with perfect humanity, lived out perfectly on our behalf. In other words, was perfectly righteous. And then he took the punishment that we deserve. In other words, he became sin who knew no sin. In other words, he took the punishment of sin even though he didn't know sin. And then it finishes with what? You and I become righteous of God. We don't become righteous of God because of our goodness. We become righteous of God because of the goodness of Jesus Christ. So Jesus being baptized is Jesus identifying with humanity so that ultimately... When God the Father looks at us, he sees the righteousness of Jesus Christ, not our own righteousness. Because Jesus had to live the perfect human life in our place. Kind of gets real complicated in a hurry. Very simple, one word. Substitute. Substitute. Jesus was our substitute. And so he went through all of the standards of God 
and ultimately went to the cross. He who knew no sin became sin. In other words, went and took the punishment for our sin. Jesus is our substitute. So why is Jesus baptized? Jesus is baptized because he's our substitute. In other words, he's identifying with us. It's not saying he's sinful. It's that he's unmatched in his righteousness, fulfilling the standards of God. Jesus is unmatched in his righteousness. Jesus is unmatched in his authority. And finally, Jesus is unmatched in his love. Look with me and you in the book of Luke. Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7, we've got an amazing story that we're going to be getting to in the months ahead. Luke chapter 7, verse 36 through 50. I'm going to summarize this story. Jesus is in the home of a religious leader in Luke 7, 36 through 50. While Jesus is in the home of this religious leader, a woman comes in. A woman who's not allowed in these type of gatherings. But this woman comes, kisses Jesus' feet, cleans Jesus' feet, and Jesus loves her. Basically, if you want to look with me, let's read at the beginning. Verse 37, Behold a woman of the city who was a sinner. In other words, she was one who was outcast, separated from all the religious people. When she learned that he was reclined at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment, and standing behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with ointment. Simply put, Jesus loved like no one else loved. Jesus allowed a woman who no one else would allow to come and clean his feet because Jesus is unmatched in his love. The ultimate example of this being Jesus unmatched in his love is that Jesus goes to the cross and one of the final words that Jesus says is, Father, as he looks out over the crowd, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. In other words, Jesus asks for the forgiveness of those who just put him on the cross. Jesus asks for the forgiveness of those who just whipped him. Something none of us can do. That in the midst of torture, loving the one who's torturing us. Jesus is unmatched in his love, ultimately shown by his death on the cross for his enemies, his death on the cross for those who had not yet received him. Jesus is superior to anyone and everything because he's unmatched in his authority. Jesus is unmatched in his righteousness. Jesus is unmatched in his love. And you need all three of these. Everybody in this room this morning needs all three of these. Because everybody in this room, let's break it down really simple. Everybody in this room this morning is going to die at some point. That's not a scare tactic, that's reality. Truth. Everybody's going to die in this room. Everybody needs somebody that has authority over death. There's only one. There's only one that's ever claimed it, Jesus Christ. Everybody in this room is imperfect. If we went around person to person to person, we could go through the law of God and every one of us would come back the exact same, guilty. 
Everybody in this room needs somebody that'll stand up in front of God and say, no, they're righteous. Everybody in this room needs a substitute. That's Jesus. He's unmatchless in his righteousness. Everybody in this room needs love. Every single person in this room needs love. Even the strongest of the strongest in this room, the independent of the independent, cannot do it on their own, cannot exist without a sense of being loved. You need all three. Someone with authority, someone with perfection, and someone with love. The good news today is that as the crowd was eagerly expecting and waiting, as it says there in Luke 3, the one who has all of that showed up, Jesus the Messiah. And he's here for you and I today. And guess what? He's approachable. And he's available. But it's so awesome that he's approachable and available because he has the authority, because he has the righteousness, because he has the love. And so this morning, there's really two things I want to encourage all of us. Last week, we just had an honest conversation. Last week, summarized last week's sermon was simply this. We're all a mess in need of a Messiah. And that's how we left it last Sunday. I want to ask now as we start this journey, well, what do you do if you're in a mess? I think the best way of saying it is this. You're either in a mess right now, you're coming out of a mess, or you're about to enter into a mess. I think we can all agree on that, right? So, so what do you do? What do you do? I want to give you two very practical things. First is this. The first thing each of us needs to do today is we need to say, Jesus, you are superior. No matter where you're at, no matter what level of pain you're going through, some of the pain you've caused for yourself, some of the pain you didn't cause at all, it has just come. You need to say, Jesus, you are superior. You need to acknowledge the majesty of Jesus Christ. Secondly, after you acknowledge the majesty of Jesus Christ, you need to take one step. You need to take one step. Rarely, if ever, rarely, does the mess get cleaned up just like that. Boom. Some of you today, you're in a mess. And it's been a mess by your behavior. You've done some stuff at work with some co-workers or, or some family. It's a little bit of a mess. Guess what? It's not just going to be gone just like this. But what's the one step that Jesus would have you take today? That one step might be for you to start praying for those that you're in relationship conflict with. Some of you today, you have children, you have friends, yourselves. One of the biggest issues in our culture today is marriage. Marriage is kind of getting downtrodden, right? So some of you today, you might be living together right now, not married. You might have friends and family that are living together right now, not married. Guess what? The church has gotten this wrong, I would contend. This is going to get me in trouble, I realize this. Church has gotten this wrong because we've said to everybody, hey, get it fixed and then come back after you get it fixed. Absolutely not. Here's what you need to do today. You need to take one step. Maybe that one step is simply going and meeting with somebody saying, hey, we want to move towards marriage. Let, let's, get that, let's get that ball rolling down the court. Is there going to be some other conversations we're going to have to have? Absolutely. But the one step today 
So if you have a son or a daughter who's in this situation and you've been struggling with what to do, you just need to ask one step. What's, what's the one step you need to take today to be obedient to Jesus Christ? No matter where you're at today, what's the one step you need to take? Oh, good news. Jesus is available. But there's a whole lot better news. Jesus has authority, righteousness, and love to change your life. So therefore, take advantage of the availability. Number one, acknowledge the majesty of Jesus Christ. Number two, take a step. Take a step. Jesus is there to step with you. Let us pray. Almighty God, we come before you this morning in awe of the majesty and the greatness of your son, Jesus. God, I pray that you'd capture our hearts right now. Right now, God, I pray that you'd give us a biblical vision of the authority, the righteousness, and the love of Jesus. God, I pray that you'd instill within us a heart of worship towards the majesty of Jesus. So God, right now I pray for any of us, myself included, as we're working our way out of a mess or stepping into a mess, God, I ask that you would give each of us a step that we can take towards wholeness and healing. We ask that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would give us that step today and give us patience with one another as we take those steps. God, we praise you and we thank you for who you are and what you have done. We praise you for the life, the death, and the resurrection of your Son, Jesus, our Lord, our Savior. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.